0: What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by. And without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. I am your host, as always, the fearless leader of the Gifted Performance family and the father of all things squatting. With me today, returning, is Thomas Butler. Thomas, how are you? Good. I think casually in conversation I call you Thomas Neal more than I call you Thomas Butler, and I need you to change that. I I really do. Unless you're okay with me actually thinking that your last name is Neal. I mean, it's like 90% of the people I know now think that, so. Perfect. That's his name. Confirmed. Hurry here first. And Dr. Esquire, master of all things tactical strength, Annie, last name, gun show. How do you actually say your last name? Hold on. Wait. Is it Hiromada?
1: Nope.
0: Nope. No. All right. Well, let me cut that out. I, I just embarrassed myself. How do you say it?
1: It's a pesky, silent H. It's just Ramada. The Czech Republic name.
0: Ah, all right. Well, you know, I plan on getting it wrong probably three to five more times. 20, 20, so, uh... Annie Bromada. Oh,
1: that is good.
0: I know you've already established yourself as as Annie Gun Show, but it might be time to uh, change that over.
1: Bromada. You <laughs> hide. It was
2: Brohead so, and- prior to so.
0: I saw that. I saw that on the Skype, and I was like, ooh, that's a pretty interesting one right there. Um, but, Annie, go ahead and give the people a little introduction into kind of who you are, your education, your background, SNC career. Got a lot of bodybuilders that watch this, so tell them about the cool stuff, the bodybuilding, the fake sports that you used to play. Give us the whole story.
1: Then all the fake sports. So, I guess, so. currently, if people are looking for technical performance type stuff, this whole... This whole situation started um, kind of in the collegiate sector. I was um, given this really cool opportunity when I was in graduate school to be an associate strength and conditioning coach um, for the university that I was at. Um, Now, while I was there, I got to work on a few different sports teams. Football was a big one. Everyone had to work on football. Uh, For me, I also had soccer, softball, men's baseball, for some reason, track. Everyone worked on track, too, for the most part. Um, and we had a really, really good time with that. Now, part of being the FNG noob, the new person on, is we did a lot of housekeeping um, and a lot of ambassador-type stuff. So I got assigned to be a regular, uh, a regular participant in a monthly long ruck with our ROTC program, which was what gave me my first insight to what a crapshoot that was. <coughs> Um, I got to be privy to their regular regular training or kind of lack thereof, and that is what started this whole thing, because my big mouth I was 21 at the time, said something to the nature of, "Hey, this really sucks, and I'd like to take over this." So I was like not much better of a programmer at the time. I just knew they were lacking any type of structure. And um, so that was really cool, and that is kind of how I started in the tactical performance world, because that and that was probably almost 10 years ago. Started my interest in performance sports, uh, technical performance sports. Um, That led to some cool contacts that have grown over the time. And so that has been running steadily on the background of just every venture that you think a girl's going to go on in fitness. So I've done some, I've done complete strengthening conditioning. After that, I hopped out and did the clinical sector. Um, I was an athletic trainer, clinical athletic trainer um, at a rehab clinic in the Chicago area. And then from there, I went back into the private sector. I started doing a little bit more research-based stuff. I ran some gyms. Um, and then currently, as it is now, I sort of live in the Bay Area. And I'm just coaching uh, a bit in person. And then I also work within the human performance department at a disaster response NGO, which is really cool. Um, hobbies, like things that i partake in, I've been solidly okay at figure and physique. Pretty bad at bikini and um, <laughs> just pretty bad at that. Uh, I was okay at powerlifting and I was, I got pretty okay at strongman. I got to compete on the pro level there, which was really, really neat for me. Um, and then underlying it all, just out of curiosity, I've liked some endurance sports. I've, loved, I've liked CrossFit. I'm not about to head to the CrossFit game, but there's quite a few things that I have the opportunity to dabble in and play around in and I just I have.
0: Okay, a couple questions. Best and worst. Best sports team that you worked with in the collegiate setting?
1: Um, the only one? University the one that you that enjoyed
0: day. the most.
1: Oh, I mean, so there was this really cool opportunity that we all got as interns to work for the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs. And so that was really, really cool. And they were the, by far the best. because I don't know if you know about Missouri sports, but we are not... Uh, Oh, the St. Louis <laughs> Cardinals are pretty good. If you're into baseball, the St. Louis Cardinals are really good. But I didn't get to work with them. The T's turned out to be all right.
0: All right, how about worst? The one where you just woke up every day and you were like, just, I, I, I can't do it. It's nails on chalk where I can't hang out with these guys or gals anymore.
1: Um, well, okay, the life of an intern in the strength and conditioning field. And it's not even the people, it's just that your ass is there making $0 an hour at 5 a.m. and you're doing all, all of the bitch work. You're cleaning the floors, you're putting the weights right side up, you didn't do it all right because you missed something minute that somebody cares about. Um, it, it isn't really the, the people, it is so much like you are 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. interning like for a whole semester. And then if you were me, you're probably bartending because you need to make money because you're poor. And so that was a really tough life to live for sure.
0: It's our, our lives sounded very similar back then. I was doing the same thing interning at UCF in strength conditioning. Um, I just want to give a special shout out to whoever loaded all the 100 pound plates on the leg press and then left them there for me. My grip strength thanks you forever. I'll never be the same. And then, you know, you check in that night work security Beat up some of the athletes that you work with during the day when they're when they're super drunk and causing fights, and then you're back at work at uh, five in the morning, right? That's the life. Isn't
1: that strange? And then if you happen to like afterwards, I got hired on, which was so cool. But like they had this little rule at the time where if you were out drinking or having a good time, and those athletes showed up, you had to leave. Which is like you, there was no point in having a good time. And I was also in grad school, so I no time for that, but. You could not go out drinking because those kids were out definitely not drinking on a school night they every night of the week. They wouldn't do that.
0: So it's actually kind of our, our path diverged there at the end. You said you got an app- opportunity to stay on after your internship. I got the opportunity to go fuck myself when I was done <laughs> and they told me, hey, it was fun. You know, great experience. Now, go work at Orange Theory Fitness. And I was like, hey, guys, all right, thank you. I'll uh, catch you on the flip. It's but
1: doesn't quite everyone alive. have now, Orange Theory Fitness management type
0: experience. I think so. Unfortunately, I think they do. And it's, yeah. you know, we'll call it a learning experience. Now, how about your barbell endeavors, your powerlifting, your strongman, your bodybuilding? Which of those was your favorite? Which one of those do you think you have the fondest memories from?
1: um strongman was so fun it is such a fun little community that the events are always different you don't have any um nobody's good at everything in strongman so you don't have the elitism that might exist in the other sports I also have some really good memories in bodybuilding so I've had a great time with that I think I'll do that until I die it's a little bit easier on my joints turns out like a 600 pound yoke just makes you feel shorter and shitty so <laughs> It's <laughs> like the worst feeling in the world. But I, I do love both of those things. I did not love powerlifting. I was instantly okay to be done with that. Instantly.
0: Tom, are you offended by that? D- do you still hold some love for powerlifting? Or are you still, <laughs> are you f- fully removed from it?
2: Fully removed.
0: Okay, Annie, real quick. Needs analysis on Tom Bot over here. He's, he's an aspiring strongman competitor who's coming to you. What are you thinking that his best event is gonna be? And what's his worst event gonna be?
1: So other than I know Tom Bott, if I don't know him and he's his Joe Blow, his best event coming from powerlifting is gonna be any deadlift event.
0: Oof that's a, bold, that's a bold choice.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: um, so the deadlifts of Strongman are I mean, the reason we have such high numbers is that they're 18-inch deadlifts, right? So it's a hip extension at the best. Or we have a neutral grip car deadlift, which looks really cool, but like 150-pound me cannot actually deadlift a car, and I hope we can all know that. I hope we can all just make, make peace with that. But when I'm, they're just, they're on a jack that gives you some leverage that is very advantageous. You deadlift a car 20 times, and that looks really cool. So if you had any static strength, Usually a deadlift's going to be there. Um, and not every competition is going to be for rep maxes. Sometimes it is for one rep. They take forever to run. But um, a powerlifter does really well in those, in those uh, situations. His worst event. Okay, a powerlifter's worst event, event might be, I'm going to say, something like a huzzafel or a, a, a in front of the body, like an anterior carry like a sandbag carry, something that doesn't have grip strength. So like a farmer's, I think they'd be all right with this is deadlift kind of foot uh, carryover. And then there's, um, there's some other movements. I think the powerlifters are going to be good at stone loads or keg loads because it's a violent hip extension anyway, and they're going to have that hip development. So I'm going to say Tombot, the powerlifter is great at deadlifts and he sucks at Huzzafelt or sandbag, anything.
0: Tom, comments?
2: Retorts? Response? Can can you do like a sumo stance stone load? Is that?
1: (laughs) You can't even sumo deadlift for some reason.
2: Yeah, that's why I laughed so hard. My best deadlifts were all sumo. I was a a big wide stance cheater, so.
0: I would say Um, Tom's. recent announcement, Tom and Missy's recent announcement on Instagram shows us that Tom is quite good at violent hip extension, if you know what I mean.
1: Uh, yay, and this is where his female friend goes, congrats, and ignores the, the, the grittiness of that. Yes.
0: You ever so seen- 12-year-old me died a little bit when you said that there was a jack underneath the car. 12-year-old me, who's up at 2 a.m. watching ESPN The Ocho, Watching Derek Poundstone and Marius Pujanowski throw down, throw cars around. Just died a little bit on the side. You just shot the Easter bunny in the head right in front of me.
1: Twelve year old right. you and current day my mom. <laughs> 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 What's that?
0: Very like similar. A it's still real <laughs> <a little> big. <laughs> <laughs> all right folks that are watching if you've made it this far congratulations you've made it through all the bs we call that the intro we call that the icebreaker now we're going to get into some actual questions and the first one that i've got for you annie is what would you say are some of the biggest delineating factors between kind of what you saw in college athletics strength conditioning and then transitioning over to tactical populations so from like start to finish of starting with a team or starting with a unit and then taking them all the way through their yearly plan?
1: They're pretty different. Um, the nice thing about college athletics is that you get this pre-sorted group of people that are pretty athletic, pretty damn athletic. Um, and they have a bit of um, just natural abilities that you're not going to see normally from day to day. And that's not the case with tactical populations. So full, full on out the gate, we've got yes. this huge Different population, different ability set. Um, when it comes to their actual training, so their assessments are a little bit different. Their training is significantly different. Um, they kind of feel like night and day type comparisons, but to compare them, because you can compare night and day. Um, when everything that we did in the weight room in collegiate strength and conditioning was to make them better in dynamic movements on the field of some sort. And so we took training, uh, training tools that we could use, and we said, what's lacking from the way that they're moving dynamically on the field? Okay, how do, we, how do we mimic that with the tools that we have in a weight room? And we had every tool there was known to man in that weight room. It was an incredible place to work. Um, and so we started looking at human movement at that time, less like we're going to do a barbell squat for hip development and saying what exactly, what movement is their hip actually going to go through and how do we strengthen that the most? And I think with tactical populations, we are actually training the sport that they're playing, which is running, which is rucking. Um, The lifting is kind of similar in that we have to find a tool that makes sense within a short amount of time to make them perform on the field, but it has a huge long-term endurance. bias into it instead. So while you do have to take the two athletes and you have to say, okay, what is what is the absolute need You have to run a needs analysis on it. Um what metrics you're actually looking for vary enormously.
0: I think there's somewhat of a there's probably somewhat of a psychological difference that you run into as well when dealing with athletes versus more of the tactical population where you're dealing with athletes who have trained their entire life, have been active their entire life. That's not a guarantee when you get into the tactical populations, right? Because if you're working with, you know, police officers, firefighters, um, maybe some military personnel, like their training could currently be zero. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. So you do get some true beginners um, and that really comes into what are they going to be able to accomplish in the next year? And sometimes they have really, a, a really, really, um, huge goals that they want to set in that year. Another thing is they, the people that I you have in collegiate athletics or in pro athletics, they are used to winning, and that really does something for your confidence and your ability to push through. Um, when you have people that are not used to winning, and I'll tell you, a good place to get deep down is the military, especially the big military. It's a great place for that. Um, they're not used to winning, and they are used to second-guessing, and that has a tremendous, a tremendous impact on how they approach the weight room. And so you kind of have to navigate people that need, need some wins in a, in a big way.
0: Just looking kind of grand scheme at that, is, is that maybe an issue? Is that something that should be addressed in the selection process?
1: It does. And so there are a lot of selection processes. The ones that I primarily work with are going to be, I have three or four major land-based selection processes that are my main feeders. And then I also I also do buds because everybody wants to be a Navy well. Um, but those, yeah, it definitely comes up. Their confidence is shot. They go into things, they have like test anxiety type, um, type things that happen. they they maybe don't perform as well as they do during assessments that they definitely blow away.
0: So there is a lot of
1: talking. There's a lot more talking about, yeah, you can let's do this and getting a more positive mental attitude going through it. And that sounds very woo. And I I don't love that, but there is a lot of explaining the process to them. And there is a lot of explaining things like, Hey man, today your heart rate was here and you ran seven minute miles consistently for five miles. I think you can push the pace to here. And that's where I start taking different training uh, approaches towards getting people to have these big mental wins towards their, their training but and it varies so so much from person to person
0: for so it sounds like you've kind of got what a lot of online coaches because i know you're working in the online space and that that motivational interviewing that you're kind of talking about right now is is challenging in the online space it's it's hard because clients can sometimes just seem like you know their numbers on a spreadsheet their heart rate data they're a certain minute mile they're a one rm deadlift how, was that something that you struggled with when you first got into online coaching or coaching in general? Was that process of, you know, seeing the person as the person instead of just data? Um, well,
1: I still see them as data. <laughs> I, I like data. Um, it is a Tom smiles. Time. Tom hears data,
0: and he's like, mm, beep, boop, happy.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, my, here. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not get it twisted. They're data. No, you know, I like people, and I think that probably makes me a little bit different from a lot of coaches is I actually really like it, and I am truly fascinated with where people can go, and I don't take on so many clients that I can't keep up with it, if that makes sense, Um, and so what I think it comes down to is, yeah, it was hard. It was hard to figure it out, and I think what I came to is just say what it is. Just say whatever it is that's going on here, and for me, a lot of times, that is knowing I know somebody has a physical ability or I wouldn't make recommendations to them that I do. And if they're failing to hit those benchmarks, that's a huge problem. It's just like missing a lift when you shouldn't. You know, it's, it's a big indicator that something's going wrong. And so you have to stop and say, Hey, I know you're capable of this. And I know you're capable of this today. What happened? And then you just never know. You never know what's going on. So it was a little bit difficult to get to. And the reason is um, you get so accustomed to, if you got so accustomed to collegiate athletics or even um, physical therapy type stuff, you start really becoming mechanical in how you behave, so that there's some consistency for those athletes or for those patients to deal with. And when it comes to remote coaching, you have to bring something different because they're not person-to-person. With them. So you have to start reasoning with them and explaining your program. And I think that also helps a bit. Okay, trust me on this process. It's a long Frickin process, And there's a lot of things that aren't going to feel like they make a lot of sense. Stay with me. And then you also have to explain to people that sometimes the road to fast and strong feels slow and weak. That's kind of normal. And that's something people that haven't lifted before or haven't really been able to dive into their physical capacities. They're just not prepared for that reality.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of something that goes into the next question that I had for you with kind of the idea of yearly planning as a whole. So when you sit down with a group of clients or a one-on-one client, whatever it is, is this something where you you've kind of got like a yearly plan in mind and then you make little modifications along the way, or is Whoa. it just like, Hey, let's just start right here today. Let's get through this week. And then let's kind of piece the little successes together as we go.
1: So, I I do use a training plan, um, what we call an annual training plan, if at all possible. So whenever I get tactical performance um, athletes coming to my door, pretty much, I say there's two there's two there's two things that are happening. Somebody says I'm going to a selection process in a year and a year and a half, um, and I want to get ready for it. In that case, that's the best possible scenario because I can really sit down. I can write, I can do a needs analysis, I can assess where their immediate needs are, Um, but I can work almost like an off-season where I can take these slow developing sticky adaptations and I can build upon those over time over time and then attempt to peak them into a selection. That's the best case scenario. In that case, absolutely, I use manual transplant. I also get people that say, in two months I'm going to the Q course, I think, help me, please. (laughs) (laughs) and then I go okay I'm gonna I'm gonna do my damnedest but we're gonna go through an assessment right now in the next three days I need to see where you're at and we can only really identify the immediate needs or what would be their barriers to entry or barriers to success and we have to address those perfect world absolutely I would use an annual training plan
0: yeah Tom anything to add there uh no
2: that's that's really about the same approach I take there's there's a, a larger framework that you want to Build within if you can, and and then occasionally you have a guy roll up and say, "Hey, I've got a meet or you know contest in eight weeks. What are we doing?" You know, and one percent of the time they end up being Ryan Patterson. So.
0: I really, I really like the word that you used there, and I wanted you to expand on it. You used the word sticky adaptations. I love that. I'm going to steal that. I'm not going to give you any credit for it. If I get famous, you can, you can get the hell out of here. I'm famous now, not you. <laughs> but what do you, what do you mean when you say sticky adaptations?
1: So sticky adaptations, I'm, I am heavily influenced by adaptation and deterioration. The ones that are outlined in Ischern, Vladimir Ischern's, uh book heavily influenced by that i'm down to be wrong on those timelines and i probably am that's how means and averages work but um, when we're looking at different capacities and different um, types of fitness yeah different types of fitness capacities some take a long time to develop such as max strength and aerobic capacity those things take forever to start developing But once you've developed them up to a point, you can go into maintenance mode with with very few exposures to that stimulus. So a good example of that is max strength has a deterioration time of 30 days, but it also has an adaptation time of like 45. And I don't have a chart in front of me, but it's something something very long term where you start to see these like actual benefits and improvements it takes forever outside of that newbie beginning stage. Um, Once that's happened, start to reduce the frequency. That's really important for tactical populations because they have to have so many, so much proficiency in so many different areas that I have to rely on, okay, what's important for this selection process? And what's the minimum amount of exposure I can give them to that? And also work on these other areas that are undeveloped going into that selection process. So, you know, it takes a long time, very sticky. And then you have those, I use the word fragile, more fragile uh, abilities that come down the line. So. That's going to be more of your skill. That's going to be your speed, um, especially maybe your anaerobic capacities, things of that nature.
0: Yeah, I had something. What was I going to say? Sweet. Oh, crap. Annie got
2: my heart rate up a little bit when she started talking about it, sir, and that's, that's one of my, uh, my key
0: resources.
2: Uh, I uh, think
0: it was, who here. was it? I don't know if it was Yastis or if it was Bondarchuk. I think someone else calls them training residuals. Yeah. similar similar concept where you know the the aerobic power stuff that takes you months to develop you can maintain with you know a couple exposures a week at a lower intensity um whereas the higher power stuff i think eric cressy did a post about that during quarantine where he was like listen get out there and like do your sprints so that you're not losing some of those power adaptations that we got while you can't come into the gym and train i know what i was gonna say and it's mm, it's thermonuclear and it's coming at you are you ready for it
1: all right i'm ready all
0: right so and we might get into this a little bit more in the pet peeve section so with all of these because tactical populations rely on kind of a wide swath of skills they have to have a lot of those training adaptations that you were talking about and they have to express them all at once something similar to like being a competitive crossfitter Is there an issue that you've identified where people, instead of saying, all right, let's spend this time of the year or this block training for this, and then we transition into this block, where people kind of just make this overtraining sandwich, where they say, all right, here's your strength work, here's your aerobic work, here's, I want to be jacked and have big biceps, so here's your hypertrophy work, and on top of that, I got to be able to sprint and jump, and on top of that, I got to, I don't know, make sweet love to my wife or something like that, just too much stacking on top?
1: Holy shit. Yeah. And especially if people go at it on their own, they're like, I know what to do. I'm going to put couch to 5k on top of this uh, men's fitness bodybuilding routine. And then on top of that, I'm going to start parkour. I'm like, don't do that. That was the worst <laughs> idea. Absolutely. People get really crazy. I also have this, I, this, when I say we're going to do things pretty that are preparatory for your selection process that aren't necessarily completely lateral to the skills that you need. They go, so we can have some fun over here? And I go, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about fun. You know, we might <laughs> talk about it. And then they start adding so many things in. And I have had, and it's, you know, I know a lot of my clients are looking forward to this podcast, so I won't name names, but I've had somebody year, year and a half out from a selection process. I said, hey, Mian, let's go on a nice, steady state. We're going to build some aerobic, aerobic conditioning. Signs up for a six-hour ultra. And I was like, that's
0: You hear that, right. Jim? You hear that, Jim? <laughs> You're a real piece of shit.
1: Or mountaineering. <laughs> like, people get real into mountaineering. But you have to go, all right, well, you did that, and now we have to take the, the week and we have to modify it a little bit because you decided to, to climb, I'm not even making this up, climb Mount Rainier. All right. Well, we climbed Mount Rainier today out of thin air. <laughs> So now we're gonna change your program next week because whether you feel it or not, you are fatigued. And you do have a lessened output for the training weeks. And that one year out turns real quick into six months out and you're gonna wish you a program, man. And They just started adding stuff that absolutely happens.
2: So as a kind of a point of clarification, when you talk about uh, you know, layering different, uh, different training inputs, right? Um, we're talking specifically about like you take a powerlifting program and a couch to 5K program and you're taking a, a program that's des- designed to be a single, you know, block. And instead of integrating different variables holistically, you're talking about literally just slamming like full volume weightlifting, full volume bodybuilding. And this, it's real in the CrossFit world where you'll see somebody that's there on, you know, uh, the cow strength barbell uh, program. And they're doing uh, Ben Berderon's conditioning wads, and they're doing uh, Chris Hinshaw's capacity workouts, and they're they're training like six hours a day to compete at some local throwdowns. When really they they could integrate their inputs, you know, intelligently the way uh, Bonderchuk or uh, Isurin talk about, and, and look at each each item as an individual stimulus within a, a larger framework and. And, and that's, you know, not against concurrent training necessarily, but against stupid concurrent training. Which right. I, think, I think something people miss a lot of times when they, when they go talk about concurrent training, they, they, they try to run in and assume that everything is going to be full volume, full bore, and they're like, well, I, you can't run and lift weights at the same time. You'll be bad at both. And they're like, well, no. <laughs> I mean, <Right>. that's
1: wrong. <laughs> One of the hardest... Subpopulations that I work with, and it's a really cool population to work with, are former bodybuilders that then want to go into some sort of soft or some sort of uh, special operational forces of some sort. Um, because you have to explain to them that volume's not it. Intent is it. Like we we got to look away from what you're very very used to, and getting people out of their their training habits is really hard. And it's not because they suck. It's because they're really accustomed to 30 volume sets of things, you know, and it's it's not, that's not what we're doing anymore.
0: Hear me out, Tom, you layered a nice, what was arguably impossible, Cal Strength, you've got, you know, Bergeron, his program, you've got, I don't know, what was the third one? Um, Hinshaw, Aerobic Capacity. Good, perfect, like it. Let me add a fourth here, Ricky (laughs) Garrard Cycle. Are we good now?
1: What cycle?
0: What? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't we don't talk about that stuff on this podcast. Drugs are bad. Don't do drugs. Drugs will kill you.
1: And, and Ricky's um, got now, bad.
0: Poor Ricky. No, I have a personal bias against Ricky because my fiance is in love with him, and I think that she might leave me for him. So that's my underlying bias there. Ricky, stay away from Melbourne, Florida. Stay away. I'm packing. Um, Annie, you did mention that there are a couple different kind of subsets of tests or kind of preparation exams. I forget the exact phrase they use for different parts of the tactical population. Can you talk a little bit more about those and what each of them kind of entail and then like what they actually feed into?
1: Sure. So um, the major military selection courses that I worked with, are gonna be land-based selection courses. So things that don't have any amphibious nature or water element to it. Um, Those are big in the, the Marine Corps has one, the Marstock, but there is a little tiny water element to it. Um, The Army has quite a few. Army is very much a land-based branch in the military and I work with them a lot. So you have um, Ranger Selection, which is a 50 something day school that is gritty and gross and hard and stucky. And then you have the Q course, which is and so once you get out of there, you are ranger qualified and you can go to ranger battalions and you can become your ranger. Um, you have SFAS, which is the Special Forces Assessment and Selection or SFRE, which is the Natty Guard version of that, I believe. I believe. Um, and those that is where you go. I think it's maybe a weekend type selection. And they say if they want to work with you or not. From there, you go into the Q course. And that's the Special Forces Qualification course. And that one is two, anywhere from two to three and a half years. And that is where you have a selection course that is lots of land nav, so land navigation skills, lots of rucking, quite a bit of just general physical PT test type stuff. You also have to learn a language during that time. And once you get out of there, if you're a medic, you have an additional, an additional, I think, nine months worth of medic training. And once you get out of there, you're assigned to a team and you're a green beret on a team. Those are twelve man teams that um, have two of every MOS that hang out together and deploy together and become a knitting circle kind of thing. A really cool knitting circle. And then Cool.
0: So you're you're essentially a, a prep coach for this, right? You yeah. would you would look at the actual test in and of itself, what it what it entails, and then you mm-hmm. gear the training towards what the exactly. test. Okay, sorry I kind of interrupted you there. Keep going.
1: Okay, um, within the army, after after that, there's also um, a long walk, which is about the Delta force selection. Super cool. Really hard train up on everybody. It's a forty-mile ruck, um, and additionally, like four-ish weeks. That's a tough one. That is a very very tough workup. Um, it is a, it's like a marathon with fifty pounds on your back, pretty much. And there are time parameters and things of that nature. So that that would be the fourth most that I see and I I don't work with that one too often just because it is so selective and so uh, rare and then BUDS has the Navy SEAL selection course and in BUDS there's a huge water element Uh, there's a huge land-based element and that one when you get down you're in the Navy Navy SEAL pretty cool
0: right on so which one of those do you think that you see the most people from or is it pretty evenly split
1: no I see so many Green Berets Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it could be that my career kind of started in Fort Bragg, working with um, doing kind of seminars there and then uh, working with I've worked with teams there and then they split off and they they need selection coaches and things like that. Um, I think this so that a lot I over the last 10 years have worked with over 400 Green Berets. I mean, a ton of Green Berets um, and a married one. So that was cool. And that actually hasn't helped me at all. And then... um...
0: (laughs) Tell me about (laughs) it. I'm getting getting married to a gymnastics coach. My gymnastics? Horrendous.
1: Yeah, but they need to start showing up in a bigger way than they are.
2: Agreed. Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, The worst. And then I see quite a a few ranger selection candidates. I also get people that are in their career path. They're on their teams. They're on their battalions that just need to not think about their training or they're doing something cool like the best ranger competition which is every every year except this one um or something like that and then the third most i see is buzz probably
0: so just just out of curiosity here how do you kind of field interest from people that want to come and work with you what are the main avenues through which people find you because i follow you on social media i get lots of spicy memes from you and don't get me wrong i love it but I don't see Annie promoting herself on there. So how do people actually find you?
1: Usually word of mouth. It's usually a word of mouth situation. Um, At this point, I've worked with enough people that I usually have a pretty good, a pretty good, I have a really great success rate. I've done a ton of um, working with teams, working with various groups of people. And then I allow them to kind of come at me that way. A big thing is like a lot of people are not, they're a little bit more covert, or they'd like to stay that way. And so you can't just be blasting everyone's face on there. So, um, I mean, only very recently have I started posting pictures of Mr. Gun Show. Very recently. And, like, he's screwed if he doesn't like that, because I'm here. <laughs> I'm just doing it. Um, and so they come to me usually word of mouth, which is one of those things. But I get on base quite a bit. I, I do go out and do things. Um, with law enforcement, fire department, any of those type of tactical avenues, every time I move somewhere, which is a lot, I go in and I, I introduce myself and I say, hey, this is what I do and this is what I offer. I'd love to work with you guys. Um, I offer a few like free seminars and that has been really advantageous as well.
0: Right, huh? that's pretty cool. Do you have anyone that you kind of work hand in hand with that does the nutrition side of things, like a sports nutritionist that you work with or do you handle a lot of the nutrition work
1: Used, I used to do that quite a bit, um, and I will use strategies, but I absolutely prefer to work with somebody else. Um, do I have favorites? It's such a weird field. It is such a weird field to, to find somebody that is qualified and understands that there's some agility needed for this career path. So do I have a one person that I work with in nutrition now I don't?
0: It should be Tom. Tom has taught me more about nutrition. He's taught me more about the art of making a delicious chicken sausage than 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 anyone in my life. Tom, you're truly you're like my chicken sausage dad figure.
2: If I if I've taught you anything, anything about nutrition that relates to what
0: Annie does, it's how to not eat. Okay, (laughs) Whatever you say, sausage daddy weird getting weird now Real dad. jake lenny at this point changed under his name right there to at sausage daddy thank you <laughs> thank you thank you 22. um all right let's get into tom's question it was tom's question but i'm gonna ask it all right and this one it was one that was put in here to actually trigger annie and it was the biggest or most personally irritating Misconceptions about tactical prep, so things like social media, TV, movies, etc. See from clients or prospective clients. You might have some strong feelings, I'm told. There might I'm be really some hate, right in now. Some to hate.
2: Through.
0: Yeah, hold she's on. gonna make that I, I just smelled dog. something bad face. That like, oh, god. Actually first, right, hold so on, subset so... of the question. Keanu Reeves. Yay or nay?
1: Absolutely, yay. Are you Perfect. kidding me? I'm a Love love, I
2: love, love, love. Have you seen the footage of him doing three gun competitions? Holy yeah. shit, the
0: guy can <laughs> shoot. The man can move. All right, good. All right, let's, let's continue with the question.
1: All right. Ugh. So, I have worked with hundreds of soft people that have been in, no doubt, hundreds of weird, high speed, crazy, cool situations. And let me tell you what never happened. Nobody ever sprinted 40 yards, jumped over six hurdles, picked up a tire and flipped it over their head, and then picked up a car and attached it to their waist and press, plus it, push the sled. That did not happen. So these weird circuits, these weird circuits that people are like, this is it. This is tactical performance. That is bullshit. And that is so pervasive that it is unbelievable. And it is becoming more and more popular by the day. So that's crazy um that's that's probably numero uno
0: are you familiar with a girl her name is demi bagby on instagram she posts some content that's similar to that oh i got tom
2: are you I, familiar I
0: know, I oh i, I felt like you were just describing exactly what she always posts it's the the tire flip and the back flip it's like yeah i feel like you know I kind of have a general idea of what goes down in those high-speed special forces situations that you're describing, and there's not a lot of tires to be flipped. There's not a lot of sledgehammers or sledgehammering that needs to be done. No. Maybe I maybe I'm wrong.
1: I don't honestly, think honestly, so. not even a single push-up. They're not like put your buddy over your shoulder and <laughs> let you into the embassy. Like that's not a thing. That's not happening.
2: <laughs> I, and I, I'm I'm admittedly like big-time civilian, you know, and, and I, I don't know a whole lot of high-speed guys, certainly nothing on Andy's level, but every guy I know who's ever been in some bad shit has basically described it as, like, you know, we're, we're just really tired and we've walked, like, 100 fucking miles with all of our shit, and it's, it's really none of that. Like, like you, you have to be able to be very skilled with your, your weapon, be clear in your mind, not exhausted and it, it, it diverts or reverts so much to the aerobic side of things. Um, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's boring, you know, like laying in mud for three straight days is not an exciting thing, but that's probably more specific to what a lot of these populations are doing on the job than, uh, than, you know, jumping over a trip wire strung around your gym and wearing seven plate carriers and swinging a sledgehammer at the wall. You know, it's, it's funny, the, the, we, we talked about this with the powerlifting uh, conversation a couple months ago about how the 15-second format on Instagram totally warps our perception of what goes on in training and sports, and in this case in, in uh, these uh, real-world tactical situations.
1: Well, Hollywood did it too. Hollywood yeah. didn't do us no favorites. So I guess another big a big uh and and we get it they're supposed to be so fantastic like there it's so sensational to watch a hollywood movie and i appreciate it but i will also say that there's a there's a misconception on what a successful candidate looks like and the idea that it's arnold schwarzenegger or the rock or any of these anybody humongous that is also not the right frame for endurance and so we have this like really weird idea of what this looks like and and you know, pretty pretty frequently someone will ask about Mr. Gunshow and what he does, and they're like, I bet he's just a huge monster. And I'm like, well, he, he's a cyclist, so <laughs> <laughs> kind of what he does. <laughs> huge, all right. He's he's bigger for sure, but I've seen some absolutely least that weigh 160 pounds. A lot of them, actually. And that's a that's a pretty big one. And then you you deal with that within selection candidates, even though they know, they'll say, I wish I was just a little bit bigger. And I'm like, well. Your
0: life might depend on you not yeah so if we kind of go back dip back into the science of those Mm -hmm. those situations that you're training people for what are what are so what's the what are the physiological limiting factors that are actually at play here in these life or death situations because i think a lot of people think it's very kind of like high speed like they show in the movies it's very high speed it's jump over this it's flip that it's throw this over here it's super anaerobic but what Tom said it's more along the lines of kind of those long-distance aerobic bouts.
1: Yeah, so when you're, when you're looking at heart rate and having command of your heart rate and having control, that all comes down to being able to look at a stressful situation, which can be mimicked in training to a degree, and being able to bring your heart rate back down. Whether it is having the biological awareness of your own body to have some breathing exercises to calm down a little bit,
0: getting your heart
1: rate under under control enough that you have fine motor skills um, is really, really important. So it depends on the nature of it. But let's say it, it does come down to often, do we have the fine motor skills to be shooting our guns? Those typically go away over that 170 beat per minute, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit higher depending on how, how you've been training. Um, you have to be able to have control. And where we all recover at is aerobically. And getting, being able to regain your heart rate after a stressful episode um, is a skill, and it's something that takes a lot of time and a lot of living in your body in these um, high heart rate situations, and then back down to get through. Um, and, and having those fine motor skills might also help you. Evade. It may help you be a little bit more aware of where your body's going, what limbs are, you know, what what limbs are moving into the site of something. Um, those reactive skills are are not biometric. If that makes sense. Um, so it, for me, a big a big bias for this for me is it has an endurance bias. I love strength training, it's always gonna be in there, but an endurance bias is incredibly important for these people to be able to maintain those motor abilities to get them out of high speed scenarios.
0: You are going to be a very, very rich woman if you can find out how to make those long duration aerobic pieces sexy and fun. If you can master that, I, I just let me live in the wing of I've your mansion, please. I've tried one
1: I've tried body. <laughs> food, I've tried everything I know. I can't. Mean, I don't know how to make that Because your body posture looks crappy. It, you know, it, it, running's not sexy. But that's it. Like it is really a a lifestyle for people that understand a means to an end. If that makes sense.
0: And we at Gifted Performance, me being the exception here on our coaches, we embrace the not sexy. So I obviously represent the sexy. The rest of our coaches, they represent the non-sexy because that's what really works. And that's what we want to give the people. So, Tom, thanks for being here.
2: <laughs> I'm like like 85% of the productivity. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Now, we did have one special question from um a social media from the world of Instagram, which is where truly all of the best questions come from. There's literally nothing not worthwhile on there. And we're gonna have to skirt around this. So Amelia, I hope you made it this far. Um, this is a special question, you asked it. You asked about a certain strength coach. He will remain unnamed. Um, and Annie's gonna give you her opinion of this individual. Your opinion, Annie? So I'm gonna, I'm,
1: I'm gonna broaden this out. A strength bias is not an appropriate bias for long-term success in the military. Okay, Full stop. It's important. You need to have some strength training in there. Additionally, an assessment needs to be pretty comprehensive when there is a lot of different factors at play. So instead of talking about what a strength coach might do, say what I might do. I was assessing somebody. I would do a lower body strength endurance test. I would do a lower body max strength. I would look at those two videos side by side. I'd say, what are the differences in how they're moving? And I would address that in their strengthening work. I would do an aerobic capacity test, which might be a zone two type run 45 minutes. I'm going to see what their efficiency is. I might look at their foot stroke, okay? I'm gonna see how they're moving. I'm gonna see if there's any vertical displacement. I'm gonna see what exactly it is that might prohibit them from becoming great runners. And then I might find alternatives for that. I would do a lower or an up, upper body, max strength and submaximal strength. And I would go through the mandatory movements for a selection or maybe even a military wing that have different PT tasks as well. And I would see how they're moving. I would take that comparison again how do they move under maximal, you know, maybe 90% of their one rep for one? And then how do they move at 60% for one rep every 10 seconds until they fail? And see where they fail. And that might be an indicator on in what exercises I use for them. And then I would probably do something like a mile test. And all of that together, and this is just hypothetical, I would use and I would say, okay, these, this is what I can tell from you remotely. This is what I think your immediate needs are. This is your needs analysis. This is how much time we have. And I think that's the only appropriate way you can handle multi- multimodal training in a way that makes sense. And then we can attempt to peak into a selection if there's a selection. Um, now that's a big like, if because I think, I think peaking, like I, I think it's incredibly hard. Um, like how many F, F, like Olympic athletes don't peak at the, at the Olympics? Like so many, but we would try. We would try really hard, and we would look at your numbers additionally against that of a successful selection candidate or that of the average big Army, big Navy, big Marine Corps um, successful uh, soldier, and we'd see what that looks like. And then we would talk about what else do you want in this. What are your peripheral goals? If they can fit in awesome, that is the only appropriate way. You do have to put that much time, energy, and diligence into each person's performance. And I think having a really simplistic one exercise assessment is not it, it's not the move. I think um, having a strength bias is not a good idea. I think you do have to have strength, but having a huge strength bias is not, not what we want. And I think overstressing barbell movements is not a great idea that at all.
0: That, that all encompassing needs analysis is enough to give the bodybuilders who are currently watching this, I think three or four mini strokes. So now our viewership has gone down from 12 people to like nine people. Mm -hmm. So if you want to take pride in anything, it's that you killed three of our beautiful viewers.
1: I don't know, I've been following Gifted for a while. I don't think I'm killing, killing, much.
0: You hear that, Tom? We've made it. Someone's been watching us.
1: and especially in that bodybuilding world y'all are crushing
0: we are crushing you heard it here first the gifted performance brand go pick up some new merchandise we're excited over here we're pumped up all right final question and it's going to play us out so I hope you're ready for it how many police officers do you work with let me just ask you that first that's not the final question
1: so currently I have five five okay Oh, I have a SWAT team, but I have five in a SWAT
0: team. How many of them look like Ronnie Coleman?
1: Oh my god, none. <laughs> okay. Yeah, none. What, so what
0: kind of none. Give me give me the needs analysis on Big Ron. So you walk in, it's your first day at work at the Arlington Police Department. Yes, I Googled where he worked. Get off my ass about it. I needed to know. Ronnie comes up to you and he says, hey Annie, uh, I'm really excited that you're coming here to work from, with uh, with us today. I really, uh, uh, I need you to help me out with uh, some of my conditioning and, um, and then we can go go out and get some uh, some cornbread after this, after, after we sit down and talk. So what are you that's, gonna do for Big Ron? Is that a pretty good Ronnie Coleman impression? I think that's the thing
2: yeah. you asked the question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> think so? That's why I snuck it in there.
1: All right, all right, so the, re- okay. So Ronnie Coleman, I know what I know now. If I know what I know now, I say, Ronnie, listen, man, (laughs) we got to get you into some yoga. I start there. I said, we got to start with yoga and we got to get, we got to get you a little healthier in the old joints. (laughs) We got to start there. (laughs) Okay. And then, oh, listen, I don't want to ruin his bodybuilding career with conditioning. You don't. I don't. Okay, so I say we are on the elliptical crew now. We stay on that elliptical. Left, right, repeat. And we are here. And you're keeping your knees in, and you're moving this way, and we're going to probably get rid of some of these not we get rid of, but forego some of these hip operations you are going to have. And, well, this is 1997, so I mean 23 years later, we're going to avoid some of that. And you just stay on the or Maybe a bike. I may put them on a bike also. So I start there, and it's it's lit. I start them out. I say, you're going to start doing Zone two, how old is he in 97? 29-ish, 25, yeah. 29. So his, I'm going to cap him at heart rate at 150. And we're going to do that three times a week for five months. And then he's like, look, I'm not real. – you'll have to do the, the voiceover later. But I he's like, you. look, I'm not catching you. people, so I need to be a little bit faster. I'm like, not a problem, my man. We're going we're gonna to be absolutely petrifying going down the street. So from there, I go into, what's the next thing? I cut his list down to once to twice a week, and I start throwing in short speed intervals. We're working on foot turnover. Okay. Flat, nothing crazy. We're working from that. We go from 200s to 400s, back maybe putting some 200s back in there. We start into some threshold training afterwards, and then towards the very end, we start working on absolute maximum speed. The police officer is not going to need to sprint more than 200. Meters, hopefully not, or it's over. But if Ronnie Coleman comes at you full speed, 200 meters, and he's 250 pound man, lay down, it's over. Nightmare over. fuel. So let me back that up. I would go aerobic capacity, five months. I would go three months threshold. Yeah, maybe VO2 stuff, maybe two to three minute fast, quick, terrible shit. Then maybe I would work on popping uh, speed all the way. I would go, I would keep listening once a week on the elliptical. Because that dude's broken. <laughs> I think that's how it start.
0: The hip surgeries, the spine surgeries. Ronnie, I'm going to tag you in this. You won't respond. But just know that we love you, man. We love you. Okay. You truly are the king. And if only you had met Annie 20 years ago, she would have been like, I don't know, like like seven years old or 11. something. Eleven years old. I, I see. I made you younger. Look, look at me going. I'm, I know how to fly. I know how to fly. We could have saved you, Ron. But nonetheless, here you are in your current situation. So, if you do want to get back into the police force this late into your career, we've got a good friend of ours, Dr. Mike Taylor, which perfect segue will be appearing on our second part of this podcast with Annie. So, we are going to sit down and we're going to talk about some common injuries, causes of those injuries, and potential. Workarounds with Dr. Mike Taylor on the next episode, and that's my outro. Tom, how did I do on my outro right there?
2: That was a good segue. I liked it.
0: Air, air five. Got him. Oh, she joined in. The the three way air five. Love it. <laughs> Powerful trio right here. Annie, thanks for coming on. Let the people know where they can find you on the social meds, which is what kids call social media.
1: That's what you call social media. Um, i am currently exclusively found on instagram at any gun Show.
0: no twitter you're not a tweeter
1: i uh i shadow twitter i, I go in there to feel the pulse and I just, I <laughs> that's,
0: that's probably smart and tom and tom where can they find you still at Polly underscore rocket that's correct
2: uh, <laughs> at tomas t-o-n-a-s underscore deal that's my real name That is absolutely by no means my middle name. That's definitely my full name.
0: We have done away with Butler. He is going by Neil now. And as always, I am at the underscore squadfather. Send all your questions to at Gifted Performance because I don't run that account, so I don't have to deal with them. We will see you guys on the next one. Thanks for coming out. And as always, you know the deal. Stay gifted. Peace.